0: So I have a few facts that, um, I don't know, maybe if we have some historians in in the room, in the church today, they're probably, they might just go, eh, like I already knew that. Facts that completely blew my mind when it comes to like how I view the timeline of history. So first one, woolly mammoths were walking the earth at the same time the Egyptians were building the pyramids. Just imagine I mean, I just imagine the Egyptians building a pyramid while you know, woolly mammoths are just kind of walking by in the background. Uh, the Oxford University existed for hundreds of years before the Aztec Empire. I mean, in my mind, you know, I knew that Oxford was a, you know, a pretty established university, but in my mind, they would have been studying the Aztecs, not predating the Aztecs. George Washington died in 1799, 25 years before they found the first dinosaur fossil, George Washington died without ever understanding that dinosaurs existed, never knew they existed. Harvard uh, didn't offer calculus the first few years that it existed because neither uh, Newton nor Leibniz had developed calculus yet. The Ottoman Empire existed The second to last time the Chicago Cubs won the World Series in (laughs) 1908. I'm not even a huge baseball person, but I understand it's a pretty long time to go without winning a World Series. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, for your Harry Potter fans, was published the same – so that was the last book – the same summer that the first iPhone came out. So Harry Potter ended and iPhones started. Uh, the construction of Machu Picchu in Peru dated is is dated just 23 years before the starting construction of the Sistine Chapel, and if you look at Machu Picchu, it's like in ruins and kind of it looks like this very ancient ruins. The Sistine Chapel, you know, people still you know pray in there. It's where the conclave happens and everything. And last, one of the more I found one of the more fascinating ones, Thomas Edison, who invented the light bulb, as you all know, he died in 1931. Which is the same year the Empire State Building was finished with its construction. Think of how many light bulbs are in the Empire State Building, and if the construction ended when the guy who invented the light bulb died. I mean, that's a pretty. It, to me, it's pretty amazing. I mean, even thinking of all the elevators and everything like that, all the technology that's in the Empire State Building, and just kind of put that in, in context, of that history. The reason why I bring uh, these facts up is kind of taking these two moments in history, which can kind of seem out of order or something like that, putting them side by side in contrast. In our gospel, that is what St. Luke the Evangelist is doing. He's, you know, he's speaking, uh, he's compiling. He tells us at the beginning of his gospel that he is compiling all of these stories, all of these things that have been passed down, and he's putting it into this gospel that we're reading today. He's not writing it as it's happening, it's decades later. And he's putting it in historical context. He's telling us who Caesar was, who was the tetrarch, who was the high priest that year. And he's doing this, and I'm sure in the mind's eye of those people who he was writing at that same period would have gone, oh yeah, the, you know, the grandparents would have remembered when, that was, when Tiberius was Caesar or when Caiaphas was high priest and all of those things. They would have remembered that and would have put it in historical context. But he's also contrasting something very fascinating. He, see, he tells us who the Caesar was and the high priest and all of that, but then he follows it by saying this, but the word of God was with John in the wilderness. He is contrasting it. The word of God was not with Caesar. The word of God was not with the tetrarchs or any of these other political figures that he's naming. The word of God was with John the Baptist in the wilderness. And what I'm about to say, just objectively speaking, I'm not trying to be prideful or anything like that. People have told me, like after mass and stuff like that, oh, Father Adam, we love your homilies. I'm not trying to be prideful, just saying what people have told me, I promise. I promise. But my response is typically this, I will know it was a good homily when I hear months down the line of the fruit that it bore. If people walk out of here and say, oh, Father Adam, we love your stories, we love the facts that you said, we found those interesting, Um, we had a good laugh at your joke, I have failed as a homilist. Because it has not borne good fruit in your life. And the greatest compliments that we can receive as preachers is the compliments that happen months later. When someone says, there's something that you said in a homily and it's changed my life. It's affected me and it's changed the way actually someone happened to say before mass today that something I said in a school mass changed the way that she prays. That's probably one of the biggest compliments I can receive, is when something I've said has borne fruit in another person's life. And John the Baptist, there in the wilderness, the word of God with him, he is preaching to them trying to bear fruit in their lives, and what is he preaching? He's preaching repentance and conversion, and the people are flocking out to come see him. He's calling them to prune out those things in their life that are not bearing good fruit. And that's what we're called to do, to, to uh, prune away those things which do not bear fruit in our lives. So what fruit is born in your lives right now? And it'd be easy to you know, think, well, I have a nice home, got a great job, I love my family. My, my, my life has some pretty good fruits in it, but I'm talking about before you go to sleep at night. I'm talking about TVs off, uh, there's no, not, you are know, not listening to music or a podcast or anything. Books put away, and you're sitting in silence with your own thoughts. What anxieties? What fears? What comes up? What surfaces? And it's not to say that if somehow you're living this perfect life, that you're never going to have a, you know if that's about living a perfect life, and then you're not going to have any of those things. No, when we have when we prune away those things which do not bear fruit in our life, and We really cultivate those things which do bear good fruit in our lives, then even in the messiness of the lives that we have, we're able to go to bed at night consoled by that word of God. Consoled in the midst of the messiness because Jesus Christ entered into a particular timeline. That's why St. Luke wrote the way he did, putting it into particular historical context. That's why he did that because in the messiness of your life right now, the word of God is trying to enter into your life. And again, it's easy with all the distractions that we have to put emphasis on those things which are not bearing fruit because they distract us from what's really maybe at the core of who we are. Maybe we're worried about something. And the church right now, and during the season of Advent, Advent, very much like Lent, is a penitential season. It's that way we can prune away those things which are not bearing good fruit in our life. And the world says right now that, no, this season is a season of stuff. That we have to worry about all the gifts that we have to buy everyone. We have to worry about all these Christmas parties that we have to go to. We've got the family Christmas party, the work Christmas party, that friend's Christmas party, the other friend's Christmas party. There's so many. i got to go to the store because I have to bring food to all these Christmas parties. And then all these parties, I'm supposed to bring a white elephant gift and all that stuff. And we cannot focus on what we're supposed to be pruning away. That we're supposed to be cultivating our relationship with God our relationship with our family, our relationship with our friend, those things which bear good fruit in our life and not just to junk it up with stuff that can leave us at the end of the day feeling anxious and worried, depressed, isolated, alone, any of those things. It's just to prune those things away so that we can bear that good fruit, that we might be open to being consoled by that word of God, that we can, again, preach that uh, That message, that gospel message of repentance and conversion. That's what this time of year is calling us to do above all things. And so, this year, right here, right now, the word of God desires to enter into your heart. To be that source of consolation. To help you during this Advent season to start pruning away all of those things which are really not important. And are not the most essential thing to, again, bear that good fruit in your life. And so this year, the year that of the 32nd uh, Summer Olympics, the year uh, that we've sent the first commercial flight into space, the year that the Chicago uh, Chicago Cubs, right? Who won this year, actually? Braves. Braves. I was stuck on the Cubs from that last fact. I wasn't even going to mention that one. But the year that the Tampa Bay Bucks won the Super Bowl, that one I do know. Way too much excitement over that one. The year of the eighth pontific, eighth year, the pontificate of Pope Francis, the eleventh year of Bishop Noonan as the ordinary of the Diocese of Orlando, the thirty-sixth year that that Father Walsh has been the pastor here at Saint Margaret Mary. The Word of God desires to enter into your heart here and now. All you have to do is have an openness to strip away all those things which are preventing you from truly receiving that, that you might have that consolation even in the messiness of our lives.